You're listening to the Sunday morning sermons from North Bullet Christian Church, located in Shepherdsville, Kentucky. If you have questions or would like to know more information on our church and or ways to connect, grow, and serve with us, email us at info at northbulletcc.org or come and gather with us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. And with that, let's look at today's sermon. The, the characters of the, of the overarching story are set here in, in the first few verses of Ruth chapter 1. It's a story set around the, the disturbing, at this point, life of a, a lady named Naomi. But it may be helpful to understand how, how we've arrived at this point. We want to set the stage. It's the first week. Uh, we jumped from uh, the New Testament book of Romans. We went through a series in Romans chapter 8, and now we're in the Old Testament. Uh, we believe all of God's Word is, is useful for teaching and rebuking and instruction. It has been breathed out by the Lord, and so we preach uh, from both the Old and the New Testament here at North Bullet Christian Church. And it's important as we transition from a New Testament series into an Old Testament series to kind of wrap our minds around where we are at in history Oftentimes when we think of biblical history, we, we can skip a large chunk, the large chunk that we find in the Old Testament. I myself, when I explain the gospel, employ a four-part summary of redemptive history, which you may recall as, as God's story. I usually say it in these four ways. Uh, we see God's redemptive story as a story of creation, God creating all things. Uh, the fall, so that humanity fell into sin and Adam and Eve's uh, original sin has been passed on to each person uh, we see the redemptive story go uh, to a place of redemption found in Jesus and the coming of God's Son in the flesh, living perfectly for us. And ultimately, we look forward to a complete restoration of all things. We believe that Jesus is coming back again, and when he comes back, he will fully consummate and establish his kingdom here on earth, and the final resurrection will happen. And so those four categories are kind of categories that we work with. As helpful as this summary is, it seems to miss a huge aspect of the biblical story, which we would call the people of Israel. Our faith is one, if you didn't know this, that has progressed through history, the history by and large of a specific people group, the Jews. So we find ourselves in the midst of this history here in Ruth, which will ultimately lead to our Redeemer, Jesus, and we can call him the true Israel of God. Ruth, in fact, is a, is a story about the Redeemer. Through her lineage, through Ruth's lineage, a king will come. Okay, this is a story about a king coming. And, and the, the, the name of the king that is listed at, at the end of Ruth is King David. And this king is promised, if we were, we were to read on the story, he's promised in 2 Samuel 7 that his offspring will be raised up the Lord will establish a kingdom through him, and this last promise, that his kingdom will last forever. Ruth comes in history before the earthly arrival of Jesus, just so we're clear. So this is, this is a look forward now in, in the timeline of history from, from Ruth to Jesus, but we must also look backward to understand the times in which Naomi and Ruth find themselves. And so a quick timeline now as we look backward, we'll, we'll pick up from the Exodus period, Israel at that point sojourned in, in Egypt for hundreds of years, and under the leadership of Moses, their deliverance came under the mighty wonders and signs of the one true God, Yahweh. These, these signs and, and wonders were revealed through Moses and Aaron, culminating in the epic parting of the Red Sea. The Israelites received uh, the law on Sinai, but in that time, they grumbled against the Lord. They crafted an, an idol when Moses, they felt, had, had been away too long. And they continued 
uh, in their unfaithfulness and, and fear of taking the promised land, resulting in their wandering of the desert for, in the desert for 40 years. After, after the death of Moses and, and the unfaithful generation passed, Joshua led the Israelites to conquer the promised land, and yet they didn't fully obey the Lord in removing all that the Lord had commanded them. This brings us to a tumultuous period of time in the history of Israel. We call it the time of, of Judges, right? If we read the book of Judges, in my opinion, it's just kind of a depressing book where we see the unfaithfulness of Israel over and over and over again. Israel is this. Israel was a theocracy. Okay, what does that mean? It means that their, their king was God. At this point, they didn't, they didn't have an, an earthly king. Their king was God. But they had human leadership, and these were known as judges. These were the human leaders of Israel. And this, this historical period exemplified the unfaithfulness of humanity toward God, and this is conveyed especially in these people chosen of God to be, the Israelites were to be his set apart, his holy nation, a, a royal priesthood. The, the Israelites suffered the consequences of their unfaithfulness as the Lord repaid their evil. And this is where we find ourselves within the book of Ruth. And Ruth is, what's awesome about this story is it's a beautiful redemption story in the midst of a tumultuous time. And this brings, us, brings to light an important aim of our studying Ruth over the next four weeks. Scripture is, is relevant to us here and now. That's one of the points I want to make to you. Ruth may seem like some you know, out-of-date, old-fashioned story, but I insist and I hope to persuade you to understand that this book is incredibly relevant to us. And I also pray this, that it is, it is a great encouragement to your faith and your journey with Jesus, which brings us to our main idea for this morning. Our main idea is this. Ruth exhibits faithfulness in a time of faithlessness. Ruth exhibits faithfulness in a time of faithlessness. As I have displayed, we find ourselves in a tumultuous time period of Israel, a time marked with the unfaithfulness of God's people, conveyed through some of the characters that we meet in chapter 1. We'll look at verse 1. It says this, In the days when the judges ruled, right? So this sets the context. It sets the time for us. There was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem, I want to pause right there. Words and names are massively important, especially in this book, in the book of Ruth. I'm going to explain some of these to you. Bethlehem actually means the house of bread. Okay, And we see here, you know, ironically, that there's famine in the house of bread. And we also can understand that there's, there's an important figure that comes from this town of Bethlehem. What's his name? Jesus. Right? The true bread of life comes from the town named for the house of bread. And so there's famine in the land. A man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. That may ring a bell for some of you. He and his wife and his two sons. How do we know that this is a tumultuous time? Well, for one, there's, there's famine in the land, it tells us. And a man in Bethlehem, this is how we know it's a tumultuous time. A, a man in Bethlehem chooses to take his family into a foreign land, and not just any foreign land, but the foreign land of Moab, a place he should definitely not be seeking refuge. We also know it's a difficult and unfaithful time because it is a, the time period of the judges, right? A time marked by covenant unfaithfulness and judgment. Why? Why is that the case? Uh, Judges 17.6 tells us 
really simply why this is going on. It says this, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Okay, no earthly king. And then here it is. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's what's going on in this time period. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's not a positive statement. It doesn't set off good vibes among the people, okay? I point this out to show you the, the relevance of the Ruth story. Are we not also living in a time and culture where many are doing, as it says here in the scriptures, what is right in their own eyes? But I want to caution you, because sometimes we can take this a little too far. As we seek to understand the, the relevance of the story in our time, I have to make it very clear that America is not Israel. We can't make that connection. We are not a theocratic nation as Israel was. We have a, a different form of government and leadership. We call ourselves a, a constitutional republic. So before we go claiming that, that God's judgment will befall us directly in conjunction with our society's sin, that is possible. That's a possibility. But God's interaction with modern nations differs from the theocratic nation of Israel under the old covenant. We want to make that clear. We can agree, however, that, that we live in an age in the world where many live according to what they think is right. Over what they think is right over and above the truth of the word of God. We, in a sense, live in, in a time where everyone does what is right in their eyes. So will we, Christian, be people like Ruth, the example for us, who live by faith in the midst of a faithless time? This is a sermon about choices. We have choices to make. And we will see how faith and choices guide each of the characters of, of the Ruth story. And so the first person that we come in contact with shows us dire circumstances. This is the first lesson we learn. We see dire circumstances. Things are just not going well. The opening section captures the, the, really the conspiracy of greener grass. Right? If I just go to this place, things are going to be better. You know, if I, if I leave the restaurant that's on an hour wait, and I go down the road to somewhere else, the wait's going to be a little bit shorter. It's going to be okay. You get over there, right? And it's an hour and a half. Now I'm even further behind. This spouse is getting on my nerves. If I, if I get rid of this person and I go to this person, everything's going to be better. It's a greener grass conspiracy. And we're seeing it here in the lives of God's people, which ultimately leads to, to dire circumstances of the women left behind by Elimelech's decision, by his choice to, to do this. He's going to do this. He's going to depart from the promised land, from the house of bread, Bethlehem, and he's going to go to Moabite land. We pick it up. We'll read our opening passage again, verses 1 to 5. In the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land, and the, and the man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. Interestingly enough, that name means God is king. God is king. Ironically, he chose to leave the place where God reigned, right? And go to a place where God didn't want his people to go. And the name of his wife, Naomi, meant pleasant. Things are not going to be very pleasant for her for long, are they? And the names of his two sons were Mechlon, which means weak, and Kilion, which means perish or die. It's as if these names mean something, right? They were Ephrathites. Okay, those are just people that lived in Bethlehem, in Judah. They went into the country 
of Moab. I want to pause there. Moab is a people at, at enmity with Israel, a people originating. If you go back and think through Genesis, there was a man named Lot. Okay, Lot was delivered uh, from Sodom and Gomorrah and yet had an incestuous relationship with his daughters. Guess where Moab came from? From that relationship. Reading on. And he remained there, right? He went into Moab and remained there. But I thought he was just going to sojourn there, but he remained there. Do you notice that? But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. And both Mechlon and Kilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Terrible, right? Can you imagine the tragedy in that short a period of time? Elimelech here is presented with a desperate set of circumstances. His family is starving in the land of bread, and he chooses to leave the land of promise to sojourn in the place of the enemy. It seems that this man is willing to live outside the land of promise Thinking, what he's doing here is he's thinking in a nearsighted fashion, right? How can I fix my problem right here and right now? He thought with his, with his stomach and his eyes, right? The man whose name declares God is king is moving himself from the place where God reigns. Now, I want to caution us again. There, there's a couple points of caution as we read through this passage. We're not just talking about a casual move within our own lives, right? Let's not make this mistake. This, this isn't about moving from, from Shepherdsville to Elizabethtown because they got nicer restaurants down the road. That's not what we're getting at here. They do have nicer restaurants than Shepherdsville. <laughs> I mean, we got like Cluckers and some sort of fish house and Daniel's Little Mexico, right? That's all we got going for us and a couple of fast food joints. Freddy's is good though. What's going on here is not just a casual move between towns. Elimelech is making a move from submission and obedience to God in the land of promise to a place that has no regard for the God of Israel and his commands. We could liken this, if we want to kind of understand this in modern terms, we could liken this to somebody deciding to move their family from from a church, from the Christian faith, and placing themselves into a cultic religion. It'd be like if someone woke up and said, I'm leaving North Bullet Christian Church and I'm going down to hang out with the Latter-day Saints down on 44. Okay, I'm leaving Christianity and I'm going to Mormonism or I'm going to be a Jehovah's Witness. Those are all Christian cults. That's what Elimelech is doing here. He's, he's leaving the promised land and he's going to the place where the enemy lives. Back to Elimelech, this... This may seem in our, in, you know, in our flesh and, and thinking through a worldly lens, this may have seemed like a decent short-term option, right? To get food and, and return. Like, I'm just going to go over there. I'm going to get some bread. I'm going to come back home. But the text says that they remained in Moab. The circumstances turned from bad to worse. Why? Because Elimelech dies and later his sons follow, leaving behind three widows Naomi, the, the widowed matriarch, and two Moabite daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. So what can we learn from Elimelech? We, we want to bring this into a modern application. 
The application is simply this. Seek wisdom from the Lord. Seek wisdom from the Lord. We can be certain that, that Elimelech knew the history of Moab. Right? Moab had, had some of the leadership, if you go back into Genesis, had sought to curse Israel at one time. I think we can be certain that, that a man you know, growing in the promised land would know these stories, the history, and Israel's relationship to these people. Knowing such thing, he, he still chose to move his family from the promised land into the land of idolatry and enmity. Elimelech clearly thought that through the lens of the immediate need over and above this, the long-term effects of his decision on his family. Moreover, the Bible promises this. Thinking broadly now, thinking about wisdom, the, the Bible promises that the Lord will provide wisdom generously to those who ask. Did you know that? That the Bible promises this? In James 1.5, it says, if, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without approach. I love that. Without reproach, right? Like God's not going to laugh at you when you're like, hey, can I get some advice on this, God? I'm like, <laughs> you're such a fool. God doesn't do that. He gives generously to all without reproach. And then he says, and it will be given him. If we seek the Lord and ask for wisdom, he will give it to us. And not, not just a little measure of wisdom, it says generously. That the Lord will give us wisdom generously. We can fast forward. I think, I think it's great to set Jesus as an example, to search for Jesus here. We can fast forward to the positive example of one who sought the wisdom of the Lord in a desperate situation. Jesus, facing death, right? After the Last Supper with his disciples, after the breaking of bread and sharing of wine one last time with his followers, he went to the garden and he prayed to the Father, what, for wisdom? Lord, what do you want me to do? I know they're going to kill me. The severe stress of his, of his impending Death weigh heavily upon him. And he says this, if possible, take this cup from me. And then these words, right? But not my will, but your will be done. Jesus had his answer as the soldiers came seeking and arrested him. His answer is all the way back in the Old Testament scriptures, the prophecies of Isaiah 53, that it was the Lord's will to crush him. And Jesus moved forward obeying God even unto death. And I'm thankful for the faithful example of Jesus. And I'm thankful for the result that he paid the price for my sin. He saved me through his obedience. Seek wisdom from the Lord and he will give generously to those who ask. Number two, we see a departure. We're going to see two departures here, actually. We see a set of departures. Just as Elimelech departed the house of bread, Bethlehem for Moab, Naomi now hears that the famine has subsided back home. She departs from Moab, and this next section culminates in the choice of her daughters-in-law, right? To remain with her or depart back for their homeland, Moab. Verses 6 to 14. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, 
Return each of you to your to our mother's house, right? Go back to your family. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they, they lifted up their voices and wept. Right? It's a heartbreaking scene. Right? She's lost her, her husband, her sons, and now she's willing to send her daughters-in-law back. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and I should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were, they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. Here we see the decisions. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, right? She's leaving. She's going back home. But Ruth clung to her. Ruth clung to her. Naomi, in desperation, thinks and ponders her circumstances. You can see the love and affection that these, these women have for each other. They care for each other. They're weeping. They're agonizing over this decision. Not only has Naomi lost everything, she's lost her husband, her sons. She's getting older, right? The prospect of being married again is, is likely beyond the scope of possibility, right? She's going back to a, to a patriarchal place. There's really no hope for her. She just wants to be able to eat. And now, if she goes back with, with her two daughters-in-law, she has two more people in tow with her, two more people to be responsible for, two more mouths to feed. She begs of them as she departs Moab for, for them to depart from her and go back home. We find here again the, the choice of these two women. Ruth clings to Naomi. We're going to get to that in our next point. But Orpah first in, insists on moving forward, and then she takes the offer to depart. She kisses her mother-in-law, and departs for her homeland. The, the decision that she makes here may not be as drastically clear as Elimelech's, but the outcome will most certainly be devastating for Orpah's eternity, I believe. Most certainly. Maybe she knew the Lord. I don't know. But she is choosing to go back to a land of idolatry. She returns to a land of idolatry when salvation lay before her in Israel. It isn't all that, that clear right in the moment, right? The, the pleasantry and comfort of home entices her, you know, the embrace of her mother. She's lost her husband, right? Her family's falling apart. Maybe I'll just go back home to my father and my mother, the place of comfort. The place of pleasantness. Interesting that Naomi, whose name means pleasant, is pushing her away. She concedes with the, the near comfort of the world, what the world has to offer, and rejects this, the true inheritance and hope that may be found among God's people. With a kiss, she departs Naomi, and in all likelihood, she departs any chance at truly coming to know and understand what it means to have a relationship with the Lord. It's a decision that she makes. 
It brings us to a point of application. The, the promise of present blessing, right, of material comforts of this world can entice us from our future inheritance. That's what we see with Orpah more than likely. As I read this, the words of Joshua ring in my head at the thought of Orpah's choice when he says this, choose this day who you will serve. She has chosen to serve her immediate needs, so she thinks. When you, when you read her story, I'm, I'm not ca- trying to cast her as a, a bad person. It seems like she's a good person. But don't we have a lot of good people that we come across that continue to, to walk away from the offer of salvation for what? The pleasures of the world. Right? When, when we read the story in our flesh, in our, in our worldliness, in our materialism, you can't really blame her. She's made a viable choice. Her mother-in-law's even encouraged her. But ultimately, we can can conclude her eternity will forever be shifted. She has chosen to depart the Lord's people. She had a taste, but has now rejected the offer. In the New Testament book of James, he has some very... James is always really just... he, He just cuts to the chase, right? He has some forward and jarring words for those who... Choose the present comforts of the world over and above a relationship with God. If you're that person this morning, listen. Listen to what the Word of God says and turn to Jesus. It says this in James 4.4. It says, you adulterous people. That cuts, doesn't it? Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Do you see the, the line that Scripture draws? You can't ride the fence with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Who do you choose? That's why Joshua would stand before the people of God and he would say, choose this day whom you will serve. The comforts and pleasures of the world, or as Joshua declared, I love this verse. Dads, you should love this verse. He says this, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I know what you're thinking. Can we have some good news? We're getting there. Number three, we see definitive faith. The tide's turning. This is a tough chapter of Scripture. We're going to see faith now. Here's the good news. We're getting to Ruth finally. In Ruth, we understand faithfulness, sacrifice, loyalty. Imagine the scene. It's a tear-jerking moment. My wife and I agree on a lot of things, but we don't agree on the movies that we're going to watch. Okay? So if if it's up to my wife and Haley, you got Lifetime or some Hallmark channel on, with the same tear-jerking cycle of stories over and over, and it just changed the characters out. I can tell you the ending. I can tell you how this thing's going to go. Why do we watch these things that make us cry, right? Guys, you with me? And here we are. We have this moment. Like me, Jordan, and I, let's watch something that stuff's blowing up. Give me a war movie. That's the only movie I want to cry in as a war movie. Everything else Let's blow something up. Let's destroy something. Good guys beat the bad guys. The end. Boom. We're done. Here we have the we have 
kind of the lifetime movie, the tear-jerking moment, right? These, these three women facing the end of the road together. One departs Orpah, two remain. And the decision likely weighs heavy on Naomi. I don't think she takes this lightly. She cares for these women. But at this point, you know, her husband has died. Her two sons are gone. She doesn't know what she's going to do. There's no answer. There's no clear answer to her. She may just want to be alone. Right? Have you ever been in that place? You've been so sad and grieved, like, I just want to be by myself. Ruth, please, I just want to. Orpah's gone. Please, go. But who stays by her side? Ruth. Verses 15 to 18. She said, this is Naomi, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. What is she saying? Would you go? Just go with her. Time out right here. I'm just going to say this. Naomi's terrible at evangelism, isn't she? She's not doing anything to draw these people to God. It's like, get away from God. Go back. Go back. Okay. Anyways, back in the story. But Ruth said this. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. This is beautiful. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Right? Where you sleep, I will sleep. Your people shall be my people. Here it is. In your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Wow. That's it. We've seen all the decision, all the, all the choices. And in Ruth, we have the proper response, right? When you're confronted with this decision to go to where God is, what's the proper response? I'm going there. I'll move forward in faith with you. And this is truly faith. Ruth doesn't know. She hasn't, she hasn't read chapter four in her book. She doesn't know where this is going. It's, it's clearly faith. Faith is a, a commitment to those, those things that you hope for that, that's not seen clearly right in front of you. She's walking forward. She's saying, I embrace my adoption into your family through marriage, even though my earthly connection has been separated from me through death. She says, I declare that I will be faithful to you, right, Naomi, and I will be faithful to your God. The last part is important. Because of Ruth's choice, the Lord has ordained that she will be an ancestor of our great Redeemer, Jesus, this Moabite woman. I love reading through. I know a lot of us skip like the beginning part of Matthew and the, and the genealogy and Luke, but man, you read through that. some shady characters up in there. Because of Ruth's choice, the Lord has ordained that she will be an ancestor of our great Redeemer, Jesus. This is a story about Jesus. We see the beautiful providence of God. We say this often. We, we, God draws straight with crooked sticks, doesn't he? Poor decisions and unfaithfulness lead this pagan woman, a foreigner no less, to the land of promise, and she pledges her life both to Naomi and more importantly to Yahweh. Yahweh is the covenant-keeping God. 
And we see that a, a foreigner is welcomed into the people of God. It's a foreshadowing of, of what Jesus will do. That he came to reconcile the world. It brings us to a point of application. We need this. We need faithful friends. We need a faithful God. We need faithful friends and a faithful God. I believe if you're looking for faithful friends and a faithful God, I'm a little biased, but I believe you're in the right place this morning. Church should be the place where you find both faithful friends and a faithful God. People that stand with you and point you to the true source of hope and love and blessing. Ruth is this. We can't just get stuck on, on her. We have to see Jesus through her. Ruth is a picture of the love of Jesus. She, she presents us, yes, with a great example of godly living. And she is also, we say this in the Old Testament, when we see Jesus in the Old Testament, we say we're seeing him in types and shadows. When we see the friendship and commitment and the loyalty and faithfulness of Ruth, the, the words of, of the old song come to mind. What a friend we have in Jesus, right? And in Jesus, we, we understand what true faithfulness of the Lord's will and plan looks like. As Ruth was, was determined to go wherever Naomi went, till death do them part, so Jesus was willing to go to the greatest lengths to do this, to fix our broken relationship with God again, even unto his death. We need faithful friends and a faithful God, and we have both in Jesus. He taught us this in John 15, 13. He said this, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus did that for us. Jesus has laid down his life for us. Jesus came in the flesh to earth. He took on a body, a human body. Jesus lived perfectly in full submission to God's law and God's will. And Jesus went to the cross of shame and he died on the cross. He shed his blood. His blood atones for our sin. What does that mean? It cleans us up. Jesus went into the grave. There was a heavy old stone rolled in, in front of the grave. And on the third day, by the power of God's spirit, the, the stone was rolled away and Jesus stood up victorious over sin and death. Family, he's alive. And believe it or not, we see this in types and shadows right here in the story, in the faithful friendship of Ruth. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. God forbid we just leave it with Ruth. I want you to hear this morning, if you're coming to our church and you're desperate for hope, if you're bitter, if you're angry, if you're grieving, you have it in Jesus Christ. Place your faith and trust and confidence in him. He is faithful to save you, to cover all of your sins, past, present, and future, to give you an eternity of life with him, worshiping him for all of eternity in a new heavens and new earth. That's good news. And lastly, we have this. We have a desperate return. You see here, Naomi does not see the full picture yet. And we can't go to the full picture because we got three more weeks left to preach in this book. <laughs> but Naomi's heading in the right direction. In the midst of grief, 
She's hopeless. She's bitter. The hope has not yet been revealed, but it's going to come later. It's almost like on, on, on Good Friday when we're weeping over the death of Jesus, but we know just a few short days away we're going to celebrate his resurrection. Some of you are, are in a desperate situation and bitterness and grief are upon you, but, but I, want to, I want to encourage you. We're not getting all the way there yet in this sermon but I want you to hold tight because joy comes in the morning. But in this moment in Naomi's life, things are, we have to to agree, they're bleak and they're dark, right? Death is in front of her. Ruth 1, 19 to 22. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, right? Naomi's coming back. And the women said, is this Naomi? Pleasant, right? That's what her name means. And she said to them, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. That's what that word means, bitter. I went away full and the Lord brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? Why call me pleasant? Why call me happy when the Lord has testified against me? And the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Here's the glimpse of hope right here. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning, here it is, of barley harvest, right? Food is right there. What we don't fully understand. A few quick lessons. From Naomi, we have, we have a better understanding of God's Sovereignty is massively important in the story. God is sovereign in all things. She says, uh, Naomi says here, the, the Lord dealt bitterly with me. She understands, even, even in her grief and pain, that the Lord is in every detail and circumstance of her life. I'm thankful for those lessons that God is in control of all things. Did you hear me? God is in control of all things. Even if we don't understand all the details, all the circumstances, we can rest in knowing God is in control of all things. Now her posture to him is not great, but she gets it, right? God's dealt bitterly with me. The Lord is in control. And until she understands all that he has in store for her, she chooses to remain in bitterness. And if anything, today we, we're presented with choices, aren't we? We understand in the, in the beginning the poor choice of Elimelech and Orpah. We see the faithful choice of Ruth and the understandable choice of grief and bitterness in Naomi. But the, the last choice we can make is to understand this. I want you to hear this, that God is not distant from the details of our life, that he's involved in everything, even the negative and dire circumstances. He is in everything. I want you to take hold of that truth today. And as Job declared in his terrible situation, I hope that we can praise God and cry out from a place of sorrow like Job did in Job 121 when he says this, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Here it is. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We know this. We know the ending of the story. We know good news awaits in this story. But for now, we're, we're left in the shadow of hope. Similar to the, the ending of, of Ruth, if you read the ending of Ruth, we see 
really a shadow of Jesus cast a, a, across that genealogy at the end. We know that, that through Ruth's lineage, the King David will come and the promise to King David that the Messiah would come, that one would come establishing a, a kingdom forever. But the shadow is still cast across the story. The story here remains in, also in the shadow of, of Jesus' first coming, his death and his resurrection. But here, Ruth grants us a glimpse of these things, faith, hope, and love. Naomi, though, chooses to remain in her bitterness. And I want to say this, I'm fine this morning. I'm not tying this thing up in a nice, neat little bow for you today. I'm fine leaving the sermon in this tension because next week we, we meet the eventual hero of the story, a man named Boaz. But for now, we have just a glimpse, a shadow of hope in Ruth, the faithful friend of Naomi, walking toward the promise of our faithful God and her mother-in-law, a bitter woman who has experienced the greatest of life's tragedies. And so, as the old movies go that have a sequel to be continued next week. So you got to come back to church, all right?